have our veterans stand, if you would. And uh, we want to acknowledge this and and honor this. Great video, huh? Allison, Allison did that for us. So, um, so I got a question: Who is ex army? Ex army, uh, Marines. We didn't have any Marines in first service either. They're the few. They're the few. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they used to be a little stronger around here. But don't sit down. Don't sit down. I know you're Army, but you can stand for a while. So um, <clears throat> how about uh, Air Force? A couple of Air Force. And uh, Navy, Tom and I, uh, ex-Navy. And I have to ask this question. I, I struggle asking this question as a Navy guy. Are there any Coast Guard in the room? Okay. So I joke about that, but as a Navy, we're the, we're the ocean guys. Coast Guard, I don't know what they do. but So, um, you know, I, I mentioned this last week, and I, I want to mention this again. There is a strong push in our country that is happening right now. Don't sit. It's happening right now. And, uh, and, and it's been happening for a while. And we saw this, we saw this uh, 50 years ago. And it, it was the same kind of thing, but it's, it's, it, it's coming around again. It's getting stronger again. It's this mentality that any kind of war under any circumstances is wrong. And that's just not true. And the, these guys are standing for something that is bigger than um, a, a moment in time. See, when, when our founding fathers wrote um, documents that established and then guaranteed freedom of individuals, that's not actually what provides our freedom. Those are documents that set the groundwork for it, but it's, it's men and women over a long, long time frame that have fought and given their lives for this that gives us our freedom. It's not just a piece of paper, and we forget that sometimes, and it's, uh, it's something that we, that we need to as a country revisit regularly, revisit constantly. So let's give these guys a uh, round of applause. <clears throat> I guess you can sit now. <laughs> Used to stand at attention for hours, can't even stand for four seconds, I don't know. Um, we do have, um, we do have our, the stuff in India is really moving nicely. The building's finished, the guys are, are living in the building now. Um, we, in fact, we Skyped with him this last week and he walked around because the week before, I took my computer and we walked outside and showed them the mountains. Neither one of them had ever seen snow. They know what snow is, but they've never seen snow in the area of India they live in. Now, you could go um, west from there are and quite a bit north, um, and you would get to some areas that would have snow. But these guys have never seen snow. So we took, took the camera outside, the, the computer outside, showing the mountains and all that stuff. They kept saying, those are big. Those are, you know... But uh, so then they gave us a tour of the house this week and showed us all the stuff. It looks great. They're living in it. We're excited about this. I have been mentioning over the last couple of weeks that we want to um, get them things when we get over there. And some, some of you are giving us some things already that we're taking, like cards and, and um, little gifts and things. But uh, we want to make sure that there's a balance with this because we're taking two large suitcases per. We're, we're leaving in two weeks, taking two large suitcases each. And we have to carry that. And the time we went before, um, Jerry and Nur taught me a new word. Uh, the word was coolie, and it means you carry the bags. And, uh, and, and then I realized there's these guys all over the country. They, you give them like a dollar, and they'll carry your suitcase. They take a big suitcase with a handle and wheels and put it on their head, and then they run around with it like that. 
But I was the coolie, and I'm planning on being the coolie again. They told me that. And so that's, uh, that's my job. So we won't want to take heavy things in our suitcases um, because of that. But we, do, we are taking some things, but we do have um, a list of things that we're going to be getting once we get over there. And these are the breakdowns of the dollars of this. And, and you'll see two fridges, too, because there's two halves to this bed and, break, uh, bed and breakfast. Um, what, what do we call it? Duplex. <laughs> Duplex. <laughs> that we built a bed and breakfast in India. So there's, a, there's two halves of this duplex, and we've got fridges, mattresses, all these kind of things, stoves, um, microwaves. We, don't, we, we, haven't, we can buy a microwave. We know basically what the price of a microwave in India, but we're trying to make sure that we can get one in that area, and our pastors have been doing the homework on that, so we don't know for sure on that right now. But we want to be able to get this stuff for them when we get over there and uh, just go shopping for them, get them some things, maybe even some nice little things for the house. We don't know, but we want to make this comfortable and, and, and good for them, um, happy for them, and so... Um, so you can contribute. There's a list out in the foyer that I'll have this. You can put your name by it. Just write your name in there. and says, I want to I buy um, some sheets, 16 used. And so we, <laughs> we want to we be able to get them some. That's not used. That's new. U.S. dollars. So uh, we want to get them some stuff when we get over there. So if you want to contribute, definitely want you to do that. Write in there India, write in there RPH, uh, any of that kind of stuff um, that you can. So Turn with me to um, Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to get there in a little bit. We want to, um, <clears throat> so, so last week I was talking about having a very intentional and active kind of faith, that we, that, we have a, um, that we have the ability to fight against what Satan is trying to do, that this isn't something that we just take passively. We don't have to let Satan um, win battles. We don't have to let him hurt us and do these kind of things, and that we can be proactive before things happen. We... Uh, we pray about those, we think about it, we're intentional and strategic before, the, before stuff happens, okay? So with that, I want to I look at, at um, tithing this morning, and I want to look at how that can be an, actually an active thing. And I want to show you maybe a way that you haven't thought about um, tithing before. I want to I um, help us to see this a little bit, okay? And so, so let me explain the concept of tithing first. We'll go, I'll go over that, and I, usually I would take a lot of t- time in Scripture and explain this very thoroughly, but I'm just going to give you the meat of it. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to break it down, read scriptures and stuff like that, because I want to set the foundation that says this is a bigger way to look at tithing, a different way to look at tithing. Okay, so, so here's the basic concept. Scripture, and this goes, all, actually tithing goes all the way back to Genesis. Some people talk about tithing start with Abraham or tithing start with Moses or different things like that. The reason Cain killed Abel is because of tithing. That was the whole concept. So it's a, it goes back to the very beginning, very beginning of the, of the garden before anything else. In fact, tithing we see established even before we understand what a priesthood is or any of that kind of stuff. So, so tithing is basically God says to us, as, um, as obedient Christians, he wants us to tithe. That means take 10% of what's called your increase or income and, uh, and give that to the kingdom of God. And then the way that it explains that is you give that to the storehouse. Um, quite a few places call call it the storehouse, which is your local church, okay, and that, that you're supposed to tithe to your local church. Now, now there's a couple ways that I've seen this where people get confused or interact or whatever. In fact, on a personal level, as a, an ordained minister in the Assemblies of God, I am required to tithe to our district office. It's, it's in the rules. I do it. I don't rebel against it. I don't do that kind of stuff, but I don't like that idea, and so every now and then I'll bring this up on our district council in our business meeting to try to change that because I don't believe that you should tithe to a district office, I believe you're supposed to tie to a storehouse, which is your local church. And I believe that applies for me and applies for you. 
Okay? But the, way that, the reason that they say it that way is because they say that our district is our local church, is our storehouse, which it's not. All right? Now, I still do it because I'm still obedient. I'm still, I sign my name to the dotted line. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an ordained minister, so I'm going to do it until I can get it changed. And I will hopefully do that before I die. It's hard sledding. So, uh, so I, um, I believe that the storehouse is a local church. Now, to answer the question, so then you don't... Lynn and I also tie to our church. We, we give to our church. We're not going to go into detail of that, but, but we do. And so um, <clears throat> I've had people ask me, well, you know, what about uh, Pastor Superstar that I watch on TV? Am I allowed to tithe to his church? As a grown adult, you're allowed to do anything you want to, but I don't think that fits the scriptural context of what your local storehouse is. That's not your church. It's not where you're getting. It may be where you watch services, but it's not where you're getting connected and involved. That's not where, the, where you're uh, um, part of the, the, the structural system of the family, the body of Christ kind of thing. And so I, I believe the storehouse is a local church. Now, you're supposed to tie 10% to your local church. That, is, that accomplishes a few things. Uh, one of the things that it accomplishes is you're being obedient. Okay, and I'm, I'll unpack that a little bit more in a little bit. But there's an obedience factor. Another thing is, is it provides for the work of the ministry. This is, this is one of the things that Scripture tells us, going all the way back in Levitical priesthood, is that when you tithe, it accomplishes the establishment of the kingdom of God and the things that is being done by that, um, that local storehouse group, the temple today, the church kind of thing, that's what's being done. The sacrifices, ministry, taking care of widows and orphans, all of the stuff that were expected to be done by the local church is, been, is done by tithing. That's how it happens. So to put it simply, that's how we pay the electric bill. We pay the electric bill off of tithing. So there is also the, the local benefit of that. And, and you know, interesting, so, so we're asking to give to India and uh, to the building fund and a lot of different things like that. And it, it, so people, if, so if you sit down this morning, you write out a check. I'm going to, I want to write a check to India, to, the, to what we're doing in India. We will apply it to that. We don't apply it to other things. One of the reasons is I don't want to go to jail, and I would if we don't. So we apply it to that. If you earmark it for something, it goes to that. If you just put missions, then it goes to missions. It doesn't go to other things in our church. Okay, it goes to missions. And interestingly, so that you'll know, I try to remind us, we have our missions convention coming up in, in after the first of the year. Usually we do it around now, but we've, we're moving it to the first of the year. But um, when, when, um, when I got here, and it was, it was really bad when I got here, it's better, but it's still not um, great with this, we send thousands of dollars a month to missionaries, uh, missions organizations, all kinds of stuff all over the world, thousands and thousands of dollars a month, all right? Um, about... Uh, a little over 50% of that, about 60% of that, is being covered by giving from all of us. So that means about 40% plus is coming out of our, our tithe fund, out of our monies that we pay electric bills with. It goes to missions. Now, there's no way that I don't like that. I, we're always going to be giving to missions. In fact, we're, if everybody here said this morning, then we want to cover that, and, and you brought it up to exactly, I would raise it a little bit because I like to, you know, give to missions. And so we're never going to catch up to that, but we need to do better than we're doing. That aside, uh, it's interesting to me, and somebody sits down and writes a check India. Um, that goes to India. I've never, in 28 years of ministry, I've never had anybody sit down and write a check and write on their electric bill. Never. You don't think about that stuff. Well, that's what your tithe does. Tithe pays bills. Here's one that's fairly close to my heart and my stomach, is my salary comes out of the tithe check. Those are the kind of things that are done with that. So we have taking care of ministry, the widows and the orphans mentality, people that, that need. 
um, taking care of the facilities, doing ministry, pushing the kingdom of God forward. And for us at, uh, here, um, that would also include missions and things like that. So here's another element that comes along with tithing. When you tithe, God also promises to bless you back. God will do that. He will take care of you. He will bless you. All right? In fact, the way that it says it is that he will cause the grapes to stay on the vine. This is in Malachi. He will cause the grapes to stay on the vine longer. Now, if you're a grape farmer, that's good for you, right? You want the grape to stay on the vine longer because it gets bigger, it gets juicier, it becomes a better grape, and it's more marketable in the marketplace. So therefore, that is where your financial uh, stuff comes from, is that God, even in just the way life works, he's talking about the, the system of life, the, the, the continuity of how we live, he will bless you in ways that you wouldn't, you wouldn't um, automatically recognize that that's what he's doing. Another way to say this in today's society, because probably a lot of you don't grow grapes, is that he will cause your cars to last longer, run longer, run better. Which I've been questioning this with my Jeep for a long time now. Still working on it. I still have it. My wife is trying to get me to sell it, but I will not. Nay, nay, I will not get rid of that Jeep. I choose to keep throwing money at it. Um, You would think somewhere along the way this is tied to my tithing. I don't know. I don't need your spiritual advice. I'm still working it out. But God says that he will cause... The grapes to stay on the vine longer. He cause your car to, to run longer. He cause um, a simple thing, this, because this has financial ramifications. Your kids stay healthier, so you don't have to take them to the doctor, which costs money. I mean, you can go down the line and come up thing after thing, and many of us in here have examples of those things that you can tell God was doing this. Same thing with the Israelites in the Old Testament. Their shoes never wore out. That kind of thing. One of the ways that God blessed our family is our kids didn't grow very fast. The clothes lasted a long time. Other kids, they got high waters. Our kids, never. They lit, they're still wearing the pants that they wore when they were eight. So, I mean, God blesses you in a lot of different ways, right? Now, so that's the basic concept of tithing. But here's what I want to ask is, is there more to this? Because I actually think the, the main reason, the overarching big reason for tithing is actually not any of those that I just gave. Taking care of the church, kingdom of God, yes, that's part of it. But it's not the main reason. It's not the foundational purpose. So that you can be blessed, I think that's actually far from the the basic purpose. He does it, but I don't think that's the reason. So let me unpack what I think the main reason is. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to go to the Ten Commandments. Then God gave the people all these instructions. Look at at his first instruction or, or, or rule or law that he establishes here, or commandment that he establishes here. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. That's his first instruction, his first commandment, the beginning of what we call the commandments. Why am I saying that? Because we always have this, this human thinking thing that takes the commandments and makes them this list of things that we're not supposed to do because they're sins or they're, they're bad or they're laws or whatever, and we just kind of leave it at that, and it's, this, it's, it's these rules. And, and you know I've picked on this. I, this. This one drives me crazy. When we buy the little t- Ten Commandments things, it's just the one, two, three, four, t- through ten. And we put that up on the refrigerator or something, and, and it's just the rule part. We leave out the heart part. Because he starts off with, remember when I rescued you? Remember when I got you out of slavery? Okay, now I'm going to ask you to do some things. But remember that I love you and I got you out of slavery. That's the point of this. There's a reason. There's a point behind this. 
See, everything from Genesis to Revelation and into eternity, everything about God is relationship. Everything. When he gives us rules, it's about relationship. When he tells us, don't murder, he knows what's best for us. I, I just sat this last week with, with one of my closest friends. He's 95 years old. He's been here before. And um, he's a World War II veteran. And, uh, and, and we were talking about um, this, this concept of um, uh, God knowing what's good for you, God knowing what's best for you, and God loving you, and, and the commandments, and all this other kind of stuff. And, and I was thinking about this, do not murder. He was in World War II. He was, a, uh, he was on B-24s in World War II. And, and he sat there and was talking to us. He said, you know, I had PTSD when I got back, but I had no idea. We didn't know that stuff in those days. But he sat for four months in his house. He didn't come out. He didn't do anything. He didn't go hang out with his friends. didn't do anything. He just locked himself in his house and just hermit in his house. Because even his, his very close relatives would come over. And when, they, when he could hear him walk in the house, he said, I would get fear inside of me. I'd, I'd lock up. I would get scared. And I could not go out and say hi to him. That's, they called it shell shock. And he said something else like, like a trench fear or something like that. And so... But, but this, is the, this is the thing that happened in those days is the same thing happening now. Human beings are not designed by God to kill other human beings. We're not designed that way. Now, it, it actually, and I know this is so countercultural, but it is actually necessary sometimes. It is actually necessary. You, you, don't let, you don't let Hitlers take over the world. That's how simple that is. So it's actually necessary, but we still have, there's effects of that. Because we're not designed by God to do that. And he said, I had PTSD. I didn't know it. And that's when he, he, right after that time frame is when he got saved. He gave his heart to the Lord. The Holy Spirit began to change him. And he was explaining to me that the reason that I could, could, I, I could move on in life and do other things later is because of the Holy Spirit. He said, I, I think I would have literally eventually taken my life. He said, I can't imagine how I would have got out of that. But the Holy Spirit began to bring him out and he gave his heart to the Lord um, at that time frame. Because that's why God says things like don't murder. And we think, oh, God's boxing me in. Oh, he's making life boring. He says, I rescued you from slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol or any kind of image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or on the sea. We make these little idols and then we pray to them. Jeremiah talked about this. He says, you take a, a dead piece of wood and you carve it into something and then you set it up on an altar and you pray to it. And Jeremiah basically is saying very sarcastically, how dumb do you have to be? The God of the, the creator of everything made the piece of wood and you are bigger and more majestic than the piece of wood, but you choose to uh, worship a piece of wood instead of the God that creates everything. All of this is about relationship. God wants a relationship with us. You must not bow down to them or worship them. That's, that's relationship. That's heart, direction of the heart. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children of the third or fourth generations who reject me. This is a heart thing. This is a relationship thing. See, this is one of the things about sin that we don't process. Sin is actually, first and foremost, a rejection of God and his ways. And then it culminates in some kind of attitude or action. But that's not where it starts. You, you don't... You don't open your eyes and, oh, I'm accidentally killing somebody. No, that started with, with an attitude. That started with a heart condition. It started with a direction, and, uh, um, anger, hate, all this other kind of stuff. And then it culminates in sin. 
that the first primary step in every sin is rejecting God and his ways. And he's saying, this is, this is the basics. This is where it starts. Jump down to, to, to Exodus 20. You must not commit murder. I mean, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not cover your neighbor's house. You must not cover your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Um, we have a neighbor across the road that um, about this time last year, we went over and we were going to be painting our house from the hailstorm and all the stuff that had happened a few months before that. And uh, so I, Linda really liked the color of his house, so I went and knocked on his door and said, what color is your house? And he said, I'm not telling you. And I said, I want to paint my house that color. He says, you cannot. And I said, but I want to. And he says, I'm not going to let you. And uh, I said, but I really like that color. He says, it's brown. I said, it's not just brown. Tell me the name. And he said, I'm not going to. And, and then finally, Linda comes walking over, and, and he, right, as we're, he said to us, he said, you guys cannot steal your neighbor's color. <laughs> and I said, Linda wants the color. She's the one who picked that color. She likes the color of your house. We're going to steal your color. You understand that, right? And, uh, and so we were joking back and forth about it, but we, we painted it similar. Not exactly, because he would not tell us what the color of his house was. But we got close, and uh, now he's selling his house. I don't know if that's, if that's is he still bitter? I don't know if he's still angry. But, uh, but you know, I was thinking about this, because it's almost like he was saying, don't covet your neighbor's house color, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, it's interesting that God tells us these things, and they are always for our good. And yet... We resist because we think we know what's better. And here's the point. It is all based in relationship. He says, I want to be God above everything. And he understands as we start to do certain things in our life, as we begin to have uh, murderous attitudes or to the extent of murder, if we start having covetous attitudes or to the extent of that, that those things push God away because he's not that. God is holy and God is amazing and majestic and he wants us to emulate him and these are the opposite. So he says, don't do these things. They will hinder my relationship with you. They will push me away from you. They will, they, my holiness will not allow me to be in relationship with you if you're going to be doing these things. We think there's a list of rules, but God says this is the relationship. This is the context of relationship. This is how we do this, and we're supposed to interact this way. We're supposed to, to, to go after him this way. So he gives us these rules. Now, let's jump down to Matthew chapter 23. And this is one of those scriptures that, that I use. There's, there's a mentality in evangelical Christianity right now that says, um, and, it's, and it's gaining strength. It's gaining a lot of momentum. It says that, that tithing is an Old Testament thing. It's not a New Testament thing. And uh, somebody after first service told me, he said, then what's the difference between that and, and uh, murdering? Is, is don't murder an Old Testament thing, not a New Testament thing? You know? But here's one of the scriptures that very simply explains that tithing is just as New Testament. In fact, the bar is raised um, in the New Testament quite a bit for this. But I want to show you something you may not have noticed before. He says, what sorrow, Matthew 23, verse 23, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. This is, this is religious mentality. This is legalism. They're tithing. They're, they're being very, very specific about every single little thing because of the letter of the law. He says, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, 
and faith. So at some particular point, if they're tithing correctly, it should be in the context of justice, mercy, and faith. Because he said you're doing this, because the next sentence is, yes, you should tithe, but do not neglect the more important things. And he just mentioned the more important things, justice, mercy, and faith. So somewhere they're tithing out of rote or legalism, and Jesus is saying you're supposed to tithe. There's no doubt about that. He's not taking away the, the point of that 10%. It's, it's still tithe means 10%. It's still 10%. It's still from your increase. I've had people ask me about this with... Um, uh, this is the most common question I get when it comes to tithing. Do I do that on my net or my gross? Well, when God established the law, there was no such thing as net or gross. He said, from your increase, from all that comes to you. And so just because the government takes your money first, which is a new phenomenon, by the way, um, just because the government takes the money first doesn't mean that that's still not your income and you're not supposed to tithe on that. You should tithe on everything. Even the stuff that the government is taking. This is why we just voted. We had this conversation with my children. This is not a new conversation. I've been saying this since, since they were babies. But when we come to voting stuff, and it starts with the tax will. What's the, I tell my kids, what do you vote? No. The tax will increase? No. The levy? No. The mill? No. And I told my kids, even if... It says on there, this tax will increase to save children from the fire of dragon breath. No. Because why? The government already has money to save children from dragon breath. They want more taxes. And here's the reason for me. This is, I'm, obviously, this is just my opinion on this stuff. But here's the reason for me. Because God asked me for 10%, and right now in my tax bracket, I'm paying about 37% to the government. That's not okay. That is not okay. So taxes, no. No tax for you. So, so here's part of the deal with this. Apparently tithing, now, now follow me with this, apparently tithing falls, if, if we're doing it right, if we're, if we're doing this for the right reasons, for the right mentality, and the more important things, apparently tax is supposed to be about justice, mercy, and faith. If we're doing this right, we think it's about providing for the kingdom of God, which is true, getting blessings, which is true, um, taking care of the, you know, the, those that need it, widows and orphans, this is true, all this kind of stuff. But that's not the main reason with this. It's not the heartbeat behind it. Let me explain it this way. Let's go to the first part of this. Number one, tithing is about relationship and trust. Now let's go to Malachi chapter 3, which is where some of the things I've already said are coming out of Malachi chapter 3, talking about you should tithe. This is how you tithe. You give the storehouse, all this kind of stuff. He'll bless you. But in verse 8 of Malachi chapter 3, it says, Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. And you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings do to me. Now, here's an interesting thing we got to wrap our mind around. God says to us, you're cheating me if you don't tithe. See, tithing is an obedience thing. You either are obedient or disobedient. And I don't know how to say this any stronger, um, but this is just factual truth from Scripture. If you're not tithing, you're being disobedient. You can say, I'm, I'm an obedient Christian. I'm all in. But if you're not tithing, you're not all in. You're not being obedient. Okay? But Let's look at this from uh, this justice, faith, mercy, this bigger picture. I'm not getting the bigger picture mentality when it comes to tithing. 
He says here that you're cheating God if you're not tithing. Now, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Because I believe, personally, I'm saying in a rational sense, let's look at this cognitively. Let's take this verse and set it aside for a second. Let's look at this rationally. The God that created everything, the heavens and the earth, the earth we're standing on, the air we're breathing, every single human on the planet, every financial system, everything, God is, is created and is above. He's king over every bit. How can I take, if I get $100, how, if I don't give my $10 to God, how is that cheating God? The transcendent God of everything. This is the best way that I can explain this. You as an adult are sitting down and playing a game with a six-year-old. And this six-year-old has realized from watching, maybe you, that if they cheat, they can win this game. So the six-year-old begins to cheat. Now you being a grown adult... And then being a six-year-old, you can easily recognize they're cheating because they're not good at it yet. And so, so here's the question. Are they, are they cheating you? Depending on which ladder you walked up and which chute you slid down, are, are they cheating you? Is that what's happening? See, see in, in my, just in the just rational thinking, that six-year-old can't cheat me in that game. But here's the truth. They are still cheating. And because we're playing the same game, it's cheating me, but really it's cheating them more than it's cheating me because they are stepping into a mindset that is not healthy. They are cheating. They are becoming dishonest and a cheater. So a few minutes later, I say, hey, why don't you, I, I just got some new candy. There's a jar of candy on the cabinet. Why don't you run and get me a piece and you a piece? As they run in there, I know a few basic things. They are not going to get two pieces of candy. Although I know I am only going to get one, because this is all they ask for, they are not going to get just one. Why? They're a cheater. Right? Which is the same as being a liar. They're a liar and they're a cheater. I know they're going to get three or four pieces of candy. That's... That's part of what is going on with this. See, here's the thing that, that if we go back and we understand, they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus says, love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law hangs on those two things. That must mean that tithing, which is part of the law, hangs in that mentality. Loving God with everything about us is the foundation of tithing. It is not giving money. It's the heart of God and our heart. Are they connected? Are we doing what God has asked us to do? Are we being obedient because we love him? Are we being honest because we love him? Is he in charge of our finances? Have we given him our finances because we love him? Or are we holding that area back? Are we being dishonest, deceptive, and disobedient in that area of our existence? Are we cheating God, which ironically you can't do? You're only cheating you. You're cheating yourself of that relationship. And, and if you would say you're cheating God, this is the only thing really ultimately you're cheating God of. It's not money. It's that relationship. Because basically what you have told God is, God, I know what your word says. I know you said that this is about a, a relationship. I know you want me to not serve anything else or put anything else before you because I love you. But I choose to put it before you anyway. 
I choose to be more in love with my finances and my mentality of my finances than being in love with you. I choose to not be obedient. It's relationship. I choose something more than you. And he says, you're cheating me. You're cheating me of you. You're cheating me of your heart, your relationship. And there's no way you can say you're all in because you're not. You're not all in with some things. That's not all in. And he says, this is about attitude, condition of the heart. The second thing here is that tithing is about humility and obedience, to truly humble yourself before God. God, I may not understand why. It may not make sense sometimes. And here's a big one that I've seen. I've even done this as the pastor of the church. And I can guarantee you, if I've done this as the pastor of the church, which, is a, which I'm a, I am a major, major part of the direction and the decision-making around here. I'm not all, because we do this as a board. We do this as a group. And I use our pastors a lot in, in decision-making and things like that. But I'm saying in the big picture, if you had the board and everybody else together, I'm probably still 80 85% of decision and direction, and I'm probably being on the light side with that, okay? Most of what we're doing around here comes from me. And I still sometimes think, well, why are we spending money on that? I'm wasting my tithe. I'm giving my tithe for that? I'm giving our tithe for youth pastors? Really? (laughs) We did... (laughs) We did... I'm saying that because their parents are here. So <clears throat> we did have this conversation. Lynn and I had this conversation when Isaac left home and Emily was still at home, but she didn't have her driver's license yet. For years, our kids had been taking our kids places. And all of a sudden, we got a kid that needs to go to youth. And we live 11 miles. And I'm like, does Emily really need to go to youth? I mean, is it that, is it that big? Of, I mean, does she know? She already knows Jesus, right? Does she need to go to youth? Does she? Just Josh and Liv. That was a joke that my wife and I were having. (laughs) Realizing that God's plan is bigger. Realizing that even what you're giving to, if you're giving to the local storehouse, you're still doing this because God said. Not because everything about the local storehouse is what you want it to be. This isn't about the money. It's not about the place. It's not about the circumstances. Now, I will say this. If you're going to a church that you disagree with everything about, and you say, well, I can't give because I disagree with everything, maybe you should go to a different church. I mean, really, I, you're like, pastor told me to go to, I don't, I don't feel comfortable at this moment right now, but you understand what I'm saying? If you hate everything about the church you're going to, why are you going to it? You give to your storehouse because God said, because it's part of the, it's your, it's your local body. You do it because it's relationship, it's obedience. And here's the next thing that I don't think we think about. Tithing is also a faith statement. And the faith is, God, your ways are higher than my ways. And this is the trust factor. And to me, this brings it all together. 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not love the Father in you. You don't have the love of the Father in you. And this obviously doesn't say you can't, like, I love puppies. Oh, then I must not have the love of God in me. That's not what I mean. You can love the things of the world, but not more than God. This is going back. The law hangs. Everything hangs on. Love God more than anything else. Love Him with everything about you. I think you are supposed to love puppies, just not more than God. You're supposed to hate cats because they come from Satan. 
For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. Now look at this, look at this scripture, guys. This, this is the summation of humanity. That's why when people talk about, well, as human beings, we need to reach down inside and find the greatness that is us. Separate from Jesus Christ, you can't do that. Because there is no greatness that is us separate from Jesus. It is evilly bent. There may be, you may have great leadership abilities, but if it's not with Jesus Christ, it's got some evil bent to it. It's got some broken humanity included in that thing. And he says here, for the world offers these three things, a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they're from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. God knows you're going to have craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything you see, and pride in your achievements and possessions. And one of the ways that he gives you as a tool to combat that and to push back against the stuff and the sin that Satan is trying to get in, greed and, and all the junk that he tries to get into your heart and your soul, is he says every time you get increase, every time you get a paycheck, every time something comes to you, you take 10% off of that right off the top and you give that to the kingdom of God in submission and humility and relationship and an uh, understanding that you're not in charge, that you are not, your, your mind is not in charge, your life is not in charge, your greed, your selfishness, all the things that are so natural for human beings to have, you immediately combat that by doing what God says and being obedient financially. This is one of the best ways that you can have active tithing. This isn't just about taking care of the church. It's not just about blessing. In fact, I would go so far as to saying, if you're tithing just so you can get blessed by God, you've missed the whole thing anyway. Will God bless you? Of course he will. And sometimes you need him to. And sometimes you need to pray, God, we're really struggling financially. God, I'm going to tithe and I really need you to bless me. I get that. But if that's the reason that you tithe, that's the concept behind your tithing, you've missed it. Because think about this. God has the right, and, I, and in my opinion, kind of should have done this, is when he said, Scott, you're supposed to tie 10%. That should have been it. He doesn't have to do anything for us. He doesn't have to give anything. He doesn't have to bless us. He doesn't have to take care of us. He doesn't have to open the storehouses of heaven. He doesn't have to do anything. He could just say, see, he didn't say, um, don't murder and I'll give you ice cream. Right? But that is what he's doing when it comes to tithing. Tithe, oh, and when you do that, I'll just bless you a whole bunch. And many of us in this room, if not all of us, could give examples of when our 90% has gone farther than our 100% and God has blessed us in so many ways. But here's the thing, he doesn't have to. He could just say, tithe 10%. Why? Because I'm God, I'm asking you to do it, and I want to be in charge of your finances, and this is the way that I will guarantee that you will, you will show me and I will be guaranteed that I am in charge of your finances. Tithe 10%, you get nothing for it. No blessings, no nothing. Just tithe 10%. Now you just have less. That's it. It's just a submission, just a humility, just an obedience thing. God had every right to do that. But because God is so full of grace, because he's so amazing, then he says, all right, I'll sure bless you back afterwards. And it'll be way more than what you gave. Now you take that rational thinking human being. Why would we not do that? My 90% will go farther, not the same, but farther than the 100%. He will bless me, will take care of me, will do all this stuff. Why would I not do that. The answers get pretty simple, pretty quickly, easily simple. I've got something wrong in here. Because on paper, tithing only makes sense. 
You say, yeah, but it's spiritual. You can't prove it. You can prove it all over this room. You can prove it all over this room. So the reason that we don't is because it's in here. There's something wrong in our relationship with God. It's not our finances. It's in our relationship with God. It's a submission. It's a humility to God. It's an obedience. It's an obedience just because we, we want to be. Not because he's going to do something for us. But God, even if you never do anything for me, you said, tithe, I'm going to do it. Because your plans are always better than mine. And I don't understand what's going on, but I'm going to trust you. You said do this. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to use it. And this is the active part. This is the proactive part. I'm going to use it to attack the stuff that goes on in my heart and my spirit regularly. I'm going to give to you to attack my greed. I'm going to give to you to attack my selfishness. This is why I've had people over the years say to me, Pastor, I can't afford to tithe. Are you not listening? Are you not listening? You have 100%. You have $100. You give $10 of that to God. And God makes sure that your 90 accomplishes 150 or $200 worth. That's the way God does it. And we say, no, 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 you don't understand. I have 100 If I give 10 I only have 90 and I can't afford that. Okay, you're not listening. Let's go over it again. I mean, how many times do you have to go over that? In fact, I, I didn't say this in first service, but Lynn and I have done this for years. And it's more of a mental, spiritual, attitudinal thing more than it's a money thing, but it's also a dollars thing. Is when we get tight financially, we'll write an extra check to the church. 